Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, March 24th, 2010. You know, I don't know what it is, but last couple weeks in a row, I've gotten to Wednesday, and I feel like I'm ready to collapse. I think it's all the extra stuff that I'm responsible for away from the studio. And that, and I'm trying to dig my way out of my email pile. Oh my. <laughs> A couple thousand left to go. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. And I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said about God out there. And what what we're really striving to do here is to proclaim the gospel. That's first and foremost, to give an occasion, to find an excuse for to, to, basically to tell you the, the great news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins. Uh, that's not a joke. That's not that's not something that you say, oh, well, maybe not all of my sins. No, every one of them, really. Christ died for all of your sins, and he calls you to repent of your sins and to trust in him, your good, gracious, loving, merciful, kind Savior, Jesus Christ, who literally did everything that it took in order to save and rescue you, a poor and miserable sinner. That's what you are. That's what I am. And it's it, it, when you look at it that way, and there's no there's no need for arrogance or somehow patting yourself on the back as if you've done some great work. No, no, no. We're all wretched, miserable, rotten sinners in need of a Savior, and we have that Savior in Christ. And so we now live in, uh, in under the shadow of the cross, set free from sin, death, and the devil. It's just great stuff. And uh, of course, that's the the thing that we're really after. And then, you know, it's kind of secondarily what we want uh, what we want to admonish people to do is to listen carefully to what their pastors or uh, spiritual leaders or Christian authors are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Because right now, the, we we've got a epidemic uh, right now in the body of Christ. And the problem is, is that there's a lot of people out there saying, just making stuff up, uh, and they're not properly handling God's word. And as a result of it, true, sound, biblical, Christ-centered doctrine and biblical teaching is not the norm today. It really is the exception. And uh, you know, and what do I? Why do I want to challenge that and bring it to people's minds and and point it out? 
well, in the hope that Christ will set us free from this epidemic and heal our heal the body of Christ, so to speak, of this disease, uh, so that the gospel and sound biblical doctrine can be proclaimed and people would hear the good news of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ instead of hearing this other stuff and, and get confused and think that somehow they earn brownie points with God uh, that will help them uh, at the end of you know at, at the end of the age when God gives the final. It's, it's, this is not my language, by the way, and uh, so that we can earn, yeah, whatever. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. Anyway, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I, I mentioned at the uh, top of the program. I am digging my way out of my email pile. Oh, good night. It, um, th- th- there should not be that this many zeros after my uh, after my email uh, when i look at the my email account it tells me how many unread emails i have yet to work my way through <laughs> i got a little behind i got to get i got to catch back up and so i have rededicated myself to addressing my email issues so if you have if you've sent me a, an email and i haven't addressed it or there's some uh, some business thing pertaining to the cove or your membership or stuff like that hang in there hang in there i'm get, i'm working my th- way through these emails and so i will get to everybody and uh work, work get you know get that cleaned up okay it, so in the process i found a few emails that i think i should address and uh so we're gonna do some email today uh got that so where are we and then um Got a news story from the Christian Post. Mission-minded Christians join Luzon chat room. Supposedly about evangelism. We'll take a look at this story from the uh, Christian Post. And then we're going to tune in to uh, question number six from Brian McLaren today on the church question over there at the ooze.tv. Now, keep in mind, if you ha- if you theologically are experiencing ooze, uh, you definitely need to go see a true doctor of theology. And uh, a good doctor of theology would prescribe a regimen of sound doctrine, Christ-centered preaching, uh, word and sacrament, all centering on Christ and the forgiveness of your sins as a means of cleaning up, uh, curing that uh, oozy, pussy, gross thing that you might experience. So uh, just want to let you know that if you are experiencing theological ooze, you need to go see a doctor of theology. And uh, and then to and then our sermon review today in hour number two is it's a little bit of a shorter one. Um, uh, we're going to be checking in with Carrie Shook, Fellowship of the Woodlands, in uh, outside of Houston, Texas. Thirty days to a no regrets life. Thirty days to a no regrets life. Um, already I've got a problem here. Thirty days to a no regrets life. Really? So uh, if something I can do to change my behavior so that moving forward in in just 30 days of doing this, I can now live a no regrets life. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, You know, here's the deal. Every time I try to pull myself up by my bootstrap or follow some 30 or 40 day program put out by the purpose driven prognosticators, um, I I don't find myself, uh, I don't find it to have any effective long-term results as far as having a no regrets life. Um, uh, in fact, my life is full of regrets, and if you are a human being and uh, you sin daily and sin much, like I do, uh, then you have regrets. And the solution is not you practicing some habitude by which you somehow change your lifestyle so that you can you know, say that I've focused my life in such a way that I now am living a no-regrets life. 
No. Uh, boy, that makes it sound like it's just so easy. I mean, just apply some simple knowledge and presto blamo, your, uh, your, your life is now regret-free. Uh, for those of you who have regrets like I do, I, I've got better news than this. How about a forgiven life? How about a redeemed life? How about a life under the cross? In the hearing the words of the pardon of Christ, your sins are forgiven, atoned for, propitiated by Christ. I can't promise you a no regrets life, but I can promise you that your regret filled life has been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So anyway, we're going to be listening to Carrie Schick from uh, Fellowship of the Woodlands. It's a short sermon review today. We had two uh, editions of Fighting for the Faith that went almost three hours, so I thought it would be nice to actually have something a little bit shorter today. So uh, with that, we are going to uh, dive into the program proper and hit our email. All right, email today. Uh, first, I can see if I can do three of these today. Uh, first email comes to me from Scott, although I'm not sure where Scott is from. So when you email me, please uh, feel free to let me know uh, what town you're from. He's responding to yesterday's edition of Fighting for the Faith, where uh, Rob Hotchkins uh, talks about birthing the kingdom. And I thought Scott had some uh, pretty salient points here. Uh, he says, hi, Chris, I, I've, I've heard variations of this many times, the birthing the kingdom thing. Did you catch the implication? God could not have had the Messiah born unless Mary manifested the word of God, uh, the word the word God gave her by faith. Yeah, I did catch that. Thank you for pointing that out, though. He says, that's one of their part. That's the other part to this. God and Jesus, rather than being a present help in time of need, are up in heaven with their arms crossed, waiting for us to do something because we are said to have the authority down here. Are, are you poor? Well, you must have wanted to be. Are you sick? You must have confessed you were ill at some time in the past. Yeah, that's one of the sticky points about the uh, the word faith, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it uh, heresy. Um, sooner or later, the word of God becomes not the gospel, but just a collection of words that we want to be true for us. And these teachings are to show us how to operate uh, words of faith. See Charles Caps for an example of this. It's a great point, Scott. Uh, he continues. He says, "Now, I'm not saying that we can expect God. Uh, that w- I'm not saying that we can expect God to work in our lives if we go around saying and thinking the opposite of what He has said in His Word. But here, here is another thing that is getting lost. And if we are testing the spirits, this should be uh, should not be. In Acts, the Word of God uh, in, is the message of Christ, not generic truths of perfection that we are to operate in, in order to restore all that Adam lost in the fall, not due to sin, you understand, but due to a uh, misinformation as the devil wanted the dominion that man had over creation. Uh, Scott, I do detect that, you know, quite a bit of this, uh, uh, what you know about this probably as somebody who's a former insider, that's well put. Right, exactly. In the book of Acts, it's the word of Christ. It's the message of Christ. It's the message of the gospel going forth. And it's not the message of, okay, here we've got it. We finally have the definitive book from God, uh, the uh, the uh, written down in fortune cookie-like sayings. You know, 
Lucky us, it came down from heaven with numbered verses. And these are all the things that we need to apply in order to restore all that Adam lost. See, the reality is, is that Christ is the second Adam, and he is the one who restores what was lost, not us by applying biblical principles. Um, Scott continues, he says, man becomes the focus of his own faith. Yep. And the words from Scripture or anywhere else are just tools to use so that we can practice manifesting uh, what we say and have uh, faith for. Use different terminology and you have the secret. That's right. Uh, the best-selling book that says nothing different uh, than what is the underlying implication of, of viewing Mary as an example of how to manifest a truth uh, we choose to believe. What is that? Co- what do they call it in the book? The secret, the the so-called law of uh, traction. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, you're right. The, so the the pagan version of uh, this is uh, found in the book, uh, the um, uh, the secret, and this is just a so-called Christianized version of it. Scott continues, says, how can anyone accept this as a foundation for what is biblical faith without falling straight through into the current uh, one world faith movement is uh, beyond my understanding. It's funny that both secular existentialism, including the nominal denominations of the last century and the slow uh, redefinition of Christianity and the supernatural, according to the principles of the mind sciences vis-a-vis Frederick Kenyon, uh, Hagen and Copeland have ended up in the same place. Uh, the agnostic says we choose what we believe, and that shapes our experience. The new spirituality says uh, we have what we choose to believe because, obviously, it has always been in our power to do so. The devil, by implication, was right. Um, we don't need doctrine. We need techniques, fruit from the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. In both cases, man has taken the place of Christ, who, at best, is just an example of how to do something spiritual as the demon-possessed girl said of Paul's teaching, they teach you a way or a method to God. In our case, godhood as as in uh, you shall be as. That's right. It's the devil's uh, it's the devil's claim. You will be like God. You shall be as God. Last night I was uh, reading uh, Webb's The Occult Establishment, where Hitler was uh, being quoted. He was talking about the new man that was spiritually emerging. Not a single bit of difference from what we are hearing from the new prophets who are proclaiming the manifest sons of God doctrine. Now, that's a strong claim, by the way, Scott. And I think you're right. There's uh, uh, Herb Blickman uh, turned me on to this uh, book, and I just picked it up from uh, Concordia. It's called Modern Fascism, the Threat to the Judeo-Christian Worldview by Gene Edward Veith, Jr., and uh, this is a real thinker, but some of the things you're talking about here, I think, are some of the same points that <clears throat> Gene Veith brings up in his book. Okay, uh, Peter said that uh, when the layman was healed in the temple, that it was not from him, but the faith, in, but the faith in Christ, and that the faith comes through him that made him well. We need to start practicing and demonstrating true spiritual power based upon complete dependence on who we are in Christ, with no confidence in the arm of the flesh, clothed in him, not patching the old wineskins. Great point. Undoubtedly, the gold we are seeking will be refined by the fire, by the shaking that will test the foundations of all who are currently saying, we are rich and in need of nothing. Scott, well put. This is a great email, by the way. And um, again, you, you, in your email, you you demonstrate a knowledge of this subject that, that sounds like it comes from somebody who is a former insider. Uh, please keep writing. I thought that was very insightful. Okay, I, I got an email from a gal who disagrees with me. Her name is Ellen, and I don't know where Ellen is from, but I thought this was a good email uh, worth passing along and answering. 
Uh, uh, Ellen writes, she says, hello, Chris. I stumbled on your podcast recently and have listened to a few of your shows already. I think I understand basically where you're coming from, not to put labels on you, but it seems that you are a conservative fundamentalist who believes in the inerrancy of the Bible. And again, I apologize for resorting to a kind of labeling or attempt to put you in a box, so to speak. Oh, no, don't put me in the box. (laughs) I do not share that point of view and consider myself more of a liberal type. You may wonder then why I'm listening to your show. The reason is that I like to listen to all points of view and enjoy listening to arguments that are intelligently made. By the way, I just want to point something out here. I don't understand the... uh, uh, the liberal concern about putting labels on people. Labels help us categorize things and understand them. Now, I would say that your labels are in the ballpark, but I would fine-tune the labels, okay? Um, yes, I'm conservative, but in the circles that I run in theologically, that's not necessarily how we would label ourselves. Um, I am a confessional Lutheran, okay? I'm a confessional Lutheran. And uh, what that means is, is that I, uh, with without equivocation, uh, subscribe to uh, the Book of Concord and uh, the confessions of the Lutheran faith that were hammered out early, early on in the uh, Protestant Reformation. And I believe that those confessions of faith correctly uh, re- re- reflect the proper understanding and teaching of Scripture. Okay. That being the case, um, I'm I'm not a fundamentalist in the sense that I subscribe to the five fundamentals of the uh, of the fundamentalist movement during the uh, modernist uh, uh, fundamentalist controversy that took place in the um, in the early 20th century. And in fact, there's some things that are that that where the fundamentalist went that I strongly disagree with. And so I, I'm not, I don't really, you can say I'm theologically a fundamentalist, but I, ha, I would have to qualify it. So, you know, that being the case, the, the best label that you can put on me is I'm a confessional Lutheran. And yes, I do hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. And yes, I do hold to the verbal plenary, uh, v- verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. And so I believe that God's Word is true. And what what I think the correct way for us to look at God's Word is to not have an opinion of scripture that is different or divergent than Christ's and uh, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. So that being the case, you know, I, I don't care if you want, if you want to put labels on me and no, it really doesn't put me in a box. All right. Ellen continues. She says, anyway, onto my questions and comments on your March 20th biblical authority show, you made a long argument as to the authority of scripture and refuted McLaren's view on graded understandings of God. I do see what McLaren is trying to point out. After all, Bronze Age people could not explain calamities and things uh, that like that. So to them, God was surely a very harsh judge. Even if God himself wrote the words, it still got written down and understood in the context of that time. Note issues such as uh, shellfish, stoning, people, virginity, etc. I, I think in uh, Jewish tradition, though, uh, the uh, the years is very big on uh, the years is very big on interpretation of the Torah, and that as we uh, that we as human beings cannot possibly understand the mind of God. I think they are correct on that. Plus, uh, and this may sound crazy, but you were also assuming that they were hearing what they were really hearing was the word of the uh, was the 
what they were hearing, what was really the big God and not some kind of alien uh, being those whose name was Yahweh, correct? I believe they were hearing God. I don't mean to be blasphemous by saying that, but it is one theory out there to explain some Old Testament stories, and let's not get into the Egyptian connections. Let me pause there for a second here. Uh, one of the things, Ellen, by way of your email, you've given me an occasion to uh, to bring up a subject again and kind of clarify something. And one of the key components that uh, of my webinar on Saturday was this idea that the idea the the what God was teaching humanity who He is and what He expects, and it's so. What happened was is that Moses really had conversations with the true, with the one true God. He didn't have conversations with aliens, and I don't have a problem with this idea that maybe God was what you know, wasn't revealing everything about himself and that he was giving them what they were capable of grasping at the time. But that being the case, um, I don't have a problem with this idea of an unfolding revelation. It's, it's a progressive revelation, if you would. So, uh, And the clear understanding of who God is, is truly found in the incarnation in Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh. But that being the case, though, you don't chuck out the older, uh, you don't chuck out the older truth. Now, let me give you uh, an example from just common everyday life. Now, Ellen, I don't know if you have kids. I have no idea how old you are. Um, however, I have three kids. Uh, one of them is uh, grown and he's in the Navy. I've got another one who's uh, 18 and she's uh, getting ready for college. I've got another one in, in junior high. That's a, She's basically 13 going on 35, but that's a different story. But uh, when my kids were young, you know, like all kids, they ask questions like, Dad, where do babies come from? And boy, is that a fun question to get from a three-year-old. Anyway, uh, so he, 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 there's two two routes that you can take in answering the question, especially if, if you know, the, depending on the age of the child. If you have a child who's still a toddler asking questions like that, your first temptation is to say something stupid like, oh, well, the stork brings them. You see, what happened is mommy and daddy were sitting there watching uh, watching television one night when we heard a knock on the door. And wouldn't you know it, there was a big bird there, a stork with a with a baby in a bundle package and just literally just put it into my hands. And I had to sign for it. And then the stork flew off and there and there you were. Now, that's not true, though. OK, and many parents are tempted to go that route. OK, now. The the truthful route goes along the lines of giving them information that is age appropriate to them. So what happens is is that you know when the three year old asks uh, that question, you give them information that is correct, but it's not all the way nuanced down to the biological level where we talk about uh, sperm, egg, zygote, uterus, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that comes later as they grow up. Now, if you go with the second approach, which is exactly what I think God is doing in the Old Testament, he hasn't revealed everything about himself, and there's still more information coming. Okay, that being the case, what happens is, is that uh, all, of, you know, all of the information that we get in the Old Testament is absolutely true. There's not a point where you're going to say, okay, listen, that's just baby stuff, or that's like the equivalent of believing in the stork. No, okay? 
It's absolutely true. And what happens is as God continues to reveal himself, he builds on the information that he's already revealed. And everything that he revealed is true. And so the idea is is that Scripture gives us a complete picture when you look at it in a whole, understanding that all of Scripture is God-breathed. And so McLaren would have, by, by the way he argues, you would you, he would have us believe that um, you know that that what we have in the Old Testament is basically technically incorrect information about God, but was appropriate for uh, the society and cultures at the time because of how backwards and 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 you know they were in their thinking. That's like basically saying that uh, God told them the stork story, and it turns out, well, there's no such thing as storks that do that. that that's not what's going on in Scripture. Instead, what you have going on in Scripture is, uh, is a partial revelation that's built upon, you know, in the, in the writings of the prophets and the Psalms. And then ultimately, which, is, which you have the ultimate revelation in Jesus Christ and his uh, life and ministry, death and resurrection here on earth, and then the theological writings that help us understand uh, theologically what was taking place in those historical stories that we read in the gospel that come in the writings of the apostles. So you have taken together, you have a progressive revelation, and everything you get in the beginning portions of that revelation are absolutely true and give us a correct picture of who God is. And those pictures are built upon. Now, again, one of the things I pointed out, we would know nothing about God if God had not revealed himself to us. Plain and simple. So we can trust that. But uh, let me continue here. Uh, Ellen continues. She says, anyway, so also during your show, you said something to the effect that Christians should not be concerned with justice in the world, i.e. social the social gospel, and that true, uh, and that a true Christian has every right to rebuke the opinions of others if those opinions are not based on Scripture, based upon your biblical argument. So given that, I, I know this is the kind of lame argument, but uh, based upon that point of view, would someone who was living during the Civil War in this country be considered a true Christian if they were publicly fighting against slavery? Absolutely not, actually. And it's funny that you bring the slavery issue up, and I think this kind of gets to the heart, Ellen, of the issue that I'm trying to get at. Um, social justice uh, is code talk, okay? And w- basically, um, social justice is not some clear-cut category in Scripture as much as the liberals would would have you think it is. And so let me give you an example, okay? The Bible clearly forbids um, homosexual sex. It is It is an abomination, according to God, and that's revealed in his word. It is something where the Apostle Paul says that that uh, unrepentant homosexuals are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, plain and simple. And so uh, we have clear words from God regarding immoral sexual behavior, and homosexuality is just one aspect or one type of immoral sexual behavior. Now, what's happened is, is that the liberals, in the name of social justice— we have to we have to make everything equitable for everybody have basically said well we've got to put away that biblical stuff and we need to in the in the christian church we need to embrace and celebrate uh people who are homosexuals you know that's not what the bible tells us to do the bible tells us you know that our message to homosexuals is the same as the message that needs to be brought to all 
sinners of all stripes, and that is repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Jesus Christ loves homosexuals so much that he died for their sins as well. And so Christ is offering them mercy, pardon, redemption, forgiveness of sins, and uh, life eternal. And he calls them to repent of their sexual immorality and to trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. Just like he calls me to repent of my sins and to trust in him for the forgiveness of his sins and to live in repentance and the forgiveness of sins, that being the case. So what's happened is is that this whole term social justice has really taken on a weird, weird, unbiblical term. And so the term itself needs to be challenged biblically. And, you know, things need to be reset properly because here's the deal. Uh, the liberals, they 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 basically split things that shouldn't be split. Nobody, nobody that I know of is basically saying, listen, well, all we need to do is create churches where people believe right doctrine. Who cares what their lives are like? Who cares if they're doing good works? All that matters is, is that they can put their name to an orthodox Christian uh, statement of faith. And uh, and then we just need to keep them comfortable until until they die so they can go to heaven. No, that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is conce- is concerns itself with both correct doctrine as well as fruits and good works that flow from true faith and trust in Christ. And so caring for the poor is important. Uh, caring for it, the, the slavery issue actually is an important issue. And I would point out that there were good, strong Christians, Wilberforce comes to mind. Uh, these are people who have very similar Protestant convictions that I have that fought slavery on good biblical grounds. But uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is that liberals many times bring up the slavery issue as if it's uh, as if it's the dilemma uh, on which everything stands or falls. Um, but they forget something. OK. And the, the, what they forget is, is that the scriptures themselves tell us what the purpose is of God's word. OK. God's word. OK. We I can let me quote two passages that talk about specifically in the text the purposes of God's word. For instance, we find in John chapter 20, verse 31, this statement, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay? So one of the stated purposes of Scripture is for us to read and then believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and by believing have eternal life in his name. That's one of the stated purposes of Scripture. Okay, another stated purpose of God's word we find, like in Second Timothy chapter three, um, uh, it basically says, "All Scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the the so that the that the 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 man of God may be equipped for ev- thoroughly equipped, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." So what we find is is that Scripture itself states the purposes for what it's written. For instance, Scripture was not written to teach us how to create automobiles. You will, you will be hard-pressed to come up with passages in the Scripture that teach anything about putting together an automobile. That's not the purpose of Scripture. The stated purposes of Scripture are so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have, have life in his name. And that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These are the stated purposes of, and that being the case, 
this is important. That belief and trust in God and those good works that come from faith, Scripture isn't necessarily focused on tearing down slavery. Instead, Scripture is focused on making sure that slaves hear the word of God and believe and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins because salvation is for them as well and that good works that are produced in their life through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So when you read in Scripture passages that say things like, um, slaves, obey your masters, one of the reasons you hear passages like that is not because what, what Scripture is trying to do is put a blanket stamp of approval on slavery. It's not. Instead, the stated purposes of Scripture are that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so there's good news to be offered even to slaves, and that good news, Christ and him crucified for our sins, plays out in good works, not only for people who are free, but those good works that are produced by the Holy Spirit are also produced in people who are enslaved. So it's good news for everybody. It's not a tacit stamp of approval saying, therefore, we can make the conclusion that slavery is is okay with God. Okay. No, the better argument and the people who were making arguments against slavery, who were Christians at the time, made some compelling cases that basically saying it is evil and wicked to steal somebody and take away from them via theft their their right to their own body, to their own agency. So the many one of the cases against slavery was built upon the idea of thou shalt not steal it was a form of theft and a form of robbery and so the, the you know what happens then is is that you make strong cases biblically in light of that and also the question is then how can i serve and love my neighbor as a christian well how can i say i'm a christian if and i'm serving and loving my neighbor when I purchased somebody who was stolen against their will and shipped from Africa to a country that they had never been to, where they have no rights, no rights of self-determination, no rights of saying no, and are forced to put it, they're put into work. One of the arguments against slavery was built upon the basic, ten, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. It was a form of theft. And as a result of it, there were Christians who were fighting against it. So we as Christians understand this, though. Our primary mission is to proclaim the gospel and uh, and you know and disciple the nations. That's really what we're called to do. Disciple the nations, proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, and that does bear fruit in people's life. And then we as Christians have to constantly be asking ourselves uh, the question is is that you know how do I serve and love my neighbor? What does it mean today to serve and love my neighbor? So Christians can and should and ought to uh, serve their neighbors by fighting against the sexual slave trade and doing everything they can to undermine that that evil institution that is enslaving people in sexual bondage even today. But primarily, that's not our mission. That's not our primary mission, but that is a fruit of our mission. 
Does that make sense? Because it's one of the ways that we can serve and love our neighbors. The problem with the liberals is, is they chuck the gospel, Christ and him crucified for our sins. They get rid of all sound doctrine. They undermine the scriptures. And so the only thing you're left with is ethics. So you have all of the stifling morality. You don't have the forgiveness of sins. And you've got a Bible that's been reduced down to fairy tales. That's the problem. And so the only way, the only thing that these guys can see is social justice, because apparently when it all boils down, the only thing that's left is, well, one thing we can all agree on is that we should love each other. Yay. Congratulations. That was amazing. Anyway, so I thought that was worth answering. The, 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 there you go. All right. We're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to to look at my time here. Let's we're talking about mission-minded Christians joining the Luzon chat room. This is something about um, supposedly about evangelism, and then we'll listen to McLaren's question number six on uh, the question of the church from his uh, his videos there at the Ooze. Now, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Quando. We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, 
My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. The social gospel gets uh, refuted often here at Fighting for the Faith. All right, need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your financial partnering with us in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can support us financially by visiting... Our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, join our crew. The other says, donate. When you join our crew, it's $6.95 a month, and you get access to our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove, a growing treasure trove of theological resources to help you. Good stuff that's in there, and I'm working on the next batch of releases here. Uh, so stay tuned. More stuff coming up. So pay attention when you if you join the crew. Uh, the button is at is on the final screen when you join, and uh, that'll give you access into the cove. And if you'd like to uh, send in uh, your uh, contribution, you can do that by either clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable and send it to Fighting for the Faith at Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. Okay, uh, let's switch gears here again. And uh, got a story here from the Christian Post. Headline reads: Mission-minded Christians joining Luzon uh, Luzon chat room. This is by Michelle A. Du. Leading up to the highly anticipated World Evangelization Conference in Cape Town, mission-minded Christians and leaders from around the world are discussing questions such as, how should Christians respond to the prosperity gospel and and are all religions true? Real simple, the prosperity gospel is a heresy and needs to be rejected outright, and those teaching it need to be repudiated, shunned, uh, thrown out of the church, 
Uh, yeah, things like that. And then are all religions true? Uh, n- no. <laughs> what do you need to chat about? This is pretty straightforward stuff. Anyway, the Luzon Global Conversation. The what? The Luzon Global Conversation invites Christians to discuss such pressing issues facing the global church in the months leading up to the Luzon 3 Cape Town 2010 in October. Uh, participants can join a wide range of ongoing conversations or create a new t- discussion topic on the website. Get the feeling I'm going to need to go visit this website. Organizations, uh, organizers say the church is highly fragmented and the gospel conversation is meant to unite the global church to engage collectively on important issues such as world evangelization. Well, here's the problem. I can't unite with prosperity heretics because they're not preaching the biblical gospel. So, uh, you know, the issue isn't that um, I'm not willing to unite with other Christians. The issue is I can't unite with those guys because they're teaching a false gospel. (laughs) Sorry. Hang on. Quote, we believe these global issues need global conversations. Hang on. Have the emergence taken over Luzon? Organizers say that the Luzon Global Conversation uh, website, so let's talk, let's strategize, let's work together. Above all, let's pray with a con- with a sense of expectation and hope for the Lord to bring wisdom through the counsel of many. Some of the conversation categories include world faiths, orality, O-R-A-L-I-T-Y, orality. Partnership development, truth, and secularity, and secularity. What's tre- what is secularity? Children, scripture in missions, forming leaders, reconciliation, poverty and wealth, and the environment, among others. You're gonna have. So let me say if I got this straight. There's going to be a, a evangelization conference called Luzon 3 in Cape Town, uh, South Africa, in October of 2010. And uh, they're having a bunch of conversations about stuff that don't have to do with the... Anyway, uh, within each of these categories are specific questions that people can choose to respond to. Some of the featured conversations on Tuesday include the audacity of dialogue the gospel of greed, and the flying community. I am not making that up. One of the featured conversations on Tuesday was the flying community. I have no idea what is going on here. The Luzon Global Conversation aims to provide Christians, especially those who will be attending the conference, with a big picture of the issues before they set foot in Cape Town, South Africa. What issues? Everybody in the world is born a sinner and they need to hear the good news of Christ and him crucified for our sins. That's why Jesus calls us to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Straightforward, pretty simple. I don't need to talk about the flying community or or the audacity of dialogue in order to share that gospel. Uh, The Third Luzon Congress on on World Evangelization will bring together some 4,000 leaders from more than 200 countries 
Sounds like a waste of money to me. On October 16th to the 25th, the leaders will tackle critical issues that relate to the future of the church and world evangelization. Luzon won the first International Congress on World Evangelization was held in 1974 in Luzon, Switzerland. Uh, the Reverend Billy Graham led the gathering of more than 2,700 evangelical leaders from 150 countries. It resulted in the Luzon Covenant, a document defining the theological groundworks for collaborative world evangelization. It also provided a framework for unity and serves as the statement of faith for hundreds of Christian organizations worldwide. More than a decade later, Luzon II uh, took uh, place in Manila in the Philippines. That Congress produced the Manila Manifesto, which reaffirmed and expanded on the Luzon Covenant and the call to proclaim Christ until he comes. In 1989, the 1989 gathering attracted 3,600 leaders from 190 nations. Luzon III will address a whole host of pressing issues, including how to engage worldviews that are increasingly hostile to Christianity. Who cares? Everybody is, by nature, born hostile to Christ. Preach the gospel. The threat of terrorism. That's just one form of hostility. Preach the gospel. HIV, AIDS. Love them. Share the gospel with folks who are dying of AIDS. And how to use opportunities presented by new technologies. That's right. Use new technologies to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Are you noticing I'm kind of singularly minded here? We pray that Luzon 3, Cape Town 2010, will serve to unite and energize. It sounds like it's not going to do any of that. It's just going to be a waste of time. Uh, the church with a new vision and a new commitment to partner. New vision? New commitment to partnership? Yeah, no. Um, I won't be attending Luzon. They wouldn't want me there anyway. Because I say things like, I got an idea. Let's proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins with the understanding that men are by nature born sinful and at war with God. And therefore, um, you know, they're going to be hostile and we should just, you know, preach the gospel anyway. No, 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 we can't do that. We have to engage in the audacity of um, uh, conversation and talk about the flying community. Wow. All right, moving along here. Time for another Brian McLaren update. Talk about social gospel. Hmm. All right. <laughs> I, I still, I, it just amazes me how appropriate that music is for Brian McLaren. Uh, Brian McLaren this week has uh, released, uh, well, over at the ooze.tv. By the way, if you have anything oozing, go and see a doctor of theology. You'll need to get that cleared up. Um, the the, uh, the ooze.tv and their conversations in motion. Um, question number six is the church uh, question. Uh, let's listen to Spencer Burke and uh, Brian McLaren wax eloquent on the topic of the church question. Here we go. All right, question six. What is the church and what is the church for and what are we going to do about the church? Because we all know the church is in trouble. Uh, what is the church? What's it for? We all know the church is in trouble. 
Hmm. I sense a little bit of the liberal fear-mongering going on here. Let's listen. So we're now into the second part of the book. You're getting to brass tacks. Yeah. In some ways, the theological questions, the first five, open up new space for us to look at the more practical questions, including... <laughs> so let's see. If we can get rid of the Bible as the Constitution is, it being authoritative, and get get rid of that thorny God who you know, sends people to hell, we can open up a new space to where we can, we, you know, we can create a new concept of church to go with our new uh, kind of Christianity. You see, that's what, that's what he just laid out for you right there, what the whole goal of the book is. We want to open up a new space, uh, more space where we can, uh, we can do church our way. We can make it what we want it to be. Not what the Bible says. No, no, no. We don't need an authoritative constitutional way of looking at the Bible that would dictate to us from on high any kinds of doctrines or ideas about what the church should be that are contrary to what we want it to be so that we can accomplish the goals that we want accomplished with the church. Uh, think of it this way. You know how the HIV virus, is, you know, the, the, the retrovirus that causes AIDS, how it hijacks uh, white blood cells and turns them into evil white blood cells. I think that's what's going on here. I mean, th- he's basically said we want to create a new space where we can do all this stuff. Uh, this is kind of like a hostile hijacking of of the church and basically gutting it of all uh, all of its Christ biblical Christ centered bibliculalness and replacing it with this liberal oozy stuff so that these uh, congregations become. Well, how, how did Jesus describe these kinds of churches in the Book of Revelation? Oh, that's right. Sunagoge de Sat. Yes, yes, yes. Synagogues of Satan. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we continue. How we understand the church. How do we understand the church in light of a new understanding of the biblical narrative? A new understanding of the biblical narrative. You mean the heretical understanding of the biblical narrative? In light of a fresh understanding of the authority of Scripture. A fresh understanding of the authority of Scripture? You completely gutted the authority of Scripture. How do we, uh, how do we reimagine the church in light of, uh, of, uh, of a Bible that has no authority. In light of a new understanding of a nonviolent God, of, of Jesus. Oh, yeah. So in light of this idea that God isn't going to return in glory to judge the living and the dead and, and send some people to hell because uh, they've got a new Jesus who is uh, Gandhi with a beard. Of uh, what the gospel really is. It opens up incredible new opportunities for the church. Well, the way it's been presented is the way we look around. Most people think... The church is in trouble. Yeah, and, and we know it's polarized between liberals and conservatives. The-, uh, the reason why it's polarized between liberals and conservatives is because it's polarized along the lines of truth versus error, darkness versus light, lies versus the truth. Real simple. Um, that's the main dividing line right there. People who trust God's word and people who are deconstructing it. Irony now is that liberals and conservatives are both in trouble. You know, it used to be the conservatives said, "Oh, the liberals—they have declining numbers. We're strong." But now the conservatives—they're—they're—they've passed their prime too, and there are real signs of uh, of danger among the conservatives. I think the problem signs among conservatives is because they've decided to abandon sound doctrine in the proclamation of Christ and him crucified for our sins and doing the job of discipling the nations and have wandered off into creating purpose-driven churches in order to scratch itching ears. That's one of the reasons why there's decline. Sunset or sunrise? Both. Oh, okay. 
it's the sunset for a certain era of the church and a certain understanding of the church. But I think it's the sunrise for an exciting new understanding of the church. An understanding that looks at the church's purpose far beyond just holding Sunday meetings. Okay, listen to this. This this is a, a straw man. This is not what the church is, but listen. But actually the church is a community of people who produces and deploys into this world people of love, people of healing, people of hope. I what? How about Christian believers who are redeemed by the blood of Christ, who are set free to go and do good works and, and love their neighbor and serve their neighbor in love? I think the most beautiful way to say it, Christ-like people. Mm. That's a great start, so a good sunrise. It's a good sunrise. <laughs> well, a lot of people argue and say it's you hate the church, <laughs> but isn't it your love for the church you're oh, asking these questions? I love the church, but I think you could say it like this. Do you love the wine or do you love the wineskin? Mm. Do you love the mission of the church or do you love the forms of the church? And at times like this, we refocus on mission. And we What is the mission of the church, Brian, by the way? Um, he thinks the mission of the church is to the creation of the kingdom of God here on earth. He, by the way, liberalism, classic liberalism, it falls into the category of what we call post-millennialism. It's this idea that we create the kingdom here on earth and God arrives and says, oh, good job, I'm now king. We rediscover this essential calling of the church not to be a warehouse for souls that were getting ready to ship to heaven at the a warehouse for souls. Who's making that argument, Brian? Over time, but the church to be uh, an agent of mission in this world. It's the difference between bringing people out of the world and sending people into the world. You know, an awful lot of people, if they knew there was a community where they could become better people, more loving people, less judgmental people, less addicted people, more others-oriented people. This sounds like what Rick Warren's offering at his purpose-driven churches, Brian. Haven't you ever heard of Celebrate Recovery and Rick Warren's call for creeds, not deeds? Is it any wonder the two of them are both Druckerites? Well, you know, McLaren is a product of the Druckerites. If they knew they could become truly spiritual people, and there was a place that would welcome them wherever they are in that journey, and minimize all the distractions and static, I think there's an awful lot of people who would be looking for a community like that. This It sounds like McLaren's offering some kind of a new church growth method, doesn't it? Oh, you conservatives and liberals are both shrinking. Well, I'm offering you a new way to grow your church by creating a loving, inclusive uh, community that uh, doesn't talk about thorny doctrines and things like that that I disagree with and instead uh, preaches the this idea that we are here to build the kingdom of God on earth and that uh, God is all about his ever-expanding concentric circles of inclusiveness community i join what do you think that's so right. it's hopeful it's it's totally hopeful and the issue is uh not that we're trying to just get people to fill the pews of this church of the sunset mm -hmm, yeah <laughs> but that we want to help people create the church of the new day the church of the sunrise I like it. well there you go uh question number six it's frightening stuff if you think about the implications of it
All right, we are up on our second break, and when we come back, we'll be doing our sermon review today. Our sermon review is from Carrie Shook uh, Ministries, uh, Carrie Shook, pastor of Fellowship of the Woodlands, the outside of Houston, Texas there. And 30 days to a no-regrets life. Wow, I had no idea that I can, just in 30 days, I can get to a no-regrets life. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is that uh, I have a gospel to proclaim for those of you who've sinned and have regrets. So we'll see how Carrie Shook's... uh, message jives with the biblical gospel. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877 246 1511. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. (laughs) The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, 
We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. dive right into our sermon review today. You know, every time Carrie Shook, we do a Carrie Shook interview, not a sermon review, oh man, I feel testosterone leaving my body. It just goes, disappears. It's unbelievable. Here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon review, uh, we'll be reviewing a sermon by Carrie Shook, Fellowship of the Woodlands, right there in the northern part of uh, the Burbs in uh, Houston, Texas. The name of the uh, sermon... 30 Days to a No Regrets Life. Hang on a second here. (sighs) I'm going to take a drink of water. Yeah. After yesterday's Funky Town sermon, I I realized the importance of moisture. You know, because if God's taking you through a dry place and you're experiencing dry funk, you need some water. And so I, I have water with me today in studio. You know, right off the bat, I mean, before we even get into the sermon review, I mean, here's my question. 30 days to a no regrets life. Really? I mean, doesn't this sound like the secret of the ages? I mean, he's, Carrie Shook apparently has discovered a secret that nobody in humanity has discovered until this point. And in just 30 days, you can apply these newly discovered principles that apparently have been hiding in the Bible the entire time. And after those 30 days, by day 31, you're living a no-regrets life. I mean, seriously. All right, let's kill the music. All right, moving over to <laughs> Carrie Shook. Here is, um, here is uh, Carrie Shook, 30 days to a no-regrets life. By the way, it starts with a commercial. You can. When you begin to live the next 30 days as if they were your last. Live life passionately. Love completely. Live the life you've always wanted to live. In the new book, One Month to Live by Carrie and Chris Shook, learn day by day how to experience life to the fullest. Best-selling author Rick Warren says One Month to Live has a... We continue. Amazing insight. It sets you free. You have one life to live. Make it count. 
One Month to Live, available wherever books are sold. You're watching a presentation of Carrie Shook Ministries. Make it last, make it count, let the passion in your heart be... Uh, by the way, I just want to let you know that um, I almost, rather than this sermon, played the Ace of Cakes sermon. <laughs> Yeah, and in the opening, he talks about how he has he apparently likes watching all the different cake um, reality TV shows. I kid you not. I mean, it's one of those things where I kid, every time I do a sermon review by this guy, even it was a year ago we did the James Bond sermon review that he did a sermon on James Bond, and. I, by the, by the time he was done, I mean, I thought that he had turned James Bond the movies into a chick flick. I, I I don't know what it is. Every single time I deal with this guy, it's it. I mean, I don't feel like I'm dealing with a man. I feel like this is just an estrogen filled whatever. Watch you. One of the things our family likes to do is ride roller coasters. And it was a big day when my youngest son, Stephen, was finally tall enough to ride. And our whole family rode a roller coaster together for the first time. We all climbed in. Our four kids were in the two cars in front of Chris and I. And this particular roller coaster took off like a jet on a runway at breakneck speed. And it went upside down in a huge loop. My kids were laughing and screaming at the same time, and I'll never forget, Chris grabbed me by the hand, and she yelled, This is our life! And I said, What? I can't hear you. My brain scrambled. This is our life! When I understood what she said, immediately I understood what she meant. She didn't have to explain it. I got it instantly. She was saying, Our lives are moving so fast, we better enjoy every moment, every dizzying moment. Every exhilarating moment, every crowded moment, every fearful moment, because our kids are growing up so fast and soon they'll be gone. I'm convinced that a roller coaster ride serves as a metaphor for life because with both, it seems like you just get started. Um, <clears throat> and then it's over. And it seems... A quick question here. Um <laughs> Do I need a crucified and risen Savior for this? I, 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 how does this play into the cross? I, I, that's what I want to know. And the reason I'm asking is because, I mean, this sounds like a topic I could get from Oprah. Although, I, I don't think Oprah challenges my manliness as much as Carrie Shook does. <sighs> Seems the longer you ride, the faster it goes. Have you noticed that? Seems the older I get, the faster the years go by. And as a roller coaster goes by in a flash, our lives here on earth are temporal and finite. But instead of letting that paralyze us and depress us, if we really own that truth about life, that our lives will end here on earth as we know it, it should liberate us and set us free to really live. Instead of limiting us, it sets us free to live the life we were made for. 
And we're going to start all of our challenge groups as we'll have thousands of challenge groups all over this area. And over 500 churches will be joining us in doing challenge groups all over the nation. And you'll be leading the way. And the challenge challenge groups all over the nation and apparently just coming to the realization that your life is short is going to set you free so that you can live life completely. There was the missing secret that humanity had missed all along until Carrie Shook came around. See, all we... If you wanted to live a no-regrets life, all you needed to do was realize that life is short. Duh! Seriously? Seriously. The challenge is this. To live the next 30 days as if it's your last. Not because you're going to die in a month. But Lord willing, you're going to live many more months and many more years. But if you live the next 30 days as if it's your last, I believe at the end of the month, you'll know how to really live. Now, the key verse for our whole series is found in Psalms. (sighs) Key verse. Which of the apostles taught this? Which sermon, which letter did Paul write or which letter did the apostle Peter write? Basically saying, listen, in light of how short life is, if you just realize how short it is and you live like you only had 30 days to live, you would live life completely. You could live life to the full. Again, I this whole ser- this isn't a sermon, uh, this whole um, life tip uh, pep talk that does have artificial Bible flavor. By the way, we're going to get a verse here in a second. Thank God. I mean, what would we do without a verse? Um, I mean, you got to make this thing look biblical, right? But is he really teaching us what the scriptures say and really teach? Or I know this is going to sound a little off, but work with me for a second here. This is almost like Gnosticism. Now, I'm not saying he's a Gnostic, what I'm saying is is that this is almost a Gnostic way of approaching the scriptures. Apparently, Carrie Shook has discovered new secret information that nobody has discovered until now, but he has unlocked the code. He has cracked it. He has come up with the solution that we've all been looking for because every one of us wants to have a meaningful, no-regrets life. Well, and see, up until now, I mean, for the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human history, nobody has come to this conclusion. It was Kerry Shook. He has discovered the secret. And here it is. Ready? You just need, if you want to live a no regrets life, all you got to do is realize life is short. See? Ta-da! So I want you to open your Bibles there to Psalms 90, 12. And this is a very important verse. And this is the verse that really started Chris and I on our journey to try to live this adventure. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. That's it? You're basing all of this on that? When you realize your days are counting down, you really want to make your days count. 
And what this verse is saying is we should live an intentional life. When Chris... What? Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That's the from the English sanctified. I don't know what he was reading from. So this is teaching us to live an intentional... What? And I, a year ago, began to ask that clarifying question, that drastic question. What would I do if I knew I had one month to live? Would I do this if I had one month to live? Would I do that if I had one month to live? It really uncluttered our schedule and helped clarify our priorities. But I would say the thing it did the most was help us start living more intentional. We became... Oh, I mean, so... Yeah, that's the thing. As soon as you realize, listen, if you re- if you lived your life as if you only got a month to live, you would live more in- in- intentionally. Again, just real quick, um, what does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with Christian sanctification? The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What does this have to do with loving and serving our neighbor. I mean, really, this kind of sounds self-serving. You know, I've always wanted to have that no regrets lifestyle. Whew, I'm glad I found the secret. Some, all I had to do was take Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 out of context, and blammo, I've discovered something that nobody has ever discovered before. Secret information. It's all about living intentionally. All you got to do is understand your life is short. Ta-da! more intentional in our relationship with God. We became more intentional about our relationship with our kids and our family. We became more intentional to do the things that matter most because we learned something very important. If we don't decide what's important to us, then everyone else will decide it for us. Have you learned that? If you don't decide what's important to you, everyone else will be glad to. And in this series, we're going to decide what's important. We're going to learn what's important and then we're going to make our choices. And it's going to change everything in our lives. Well, there are four universal and biblical principles to the one-month-to-live lifestyle in this challenge that we'll be taking. And we discover them from the life of Christ. These aren't new principles. They're universal principles. Okay, now look at what he's doing to the life of Christ. We're going we're gonna to hear some gospel verses or verses from the gospels. And he's not interested in actually teaching you what Jesus really said and what Jesus did and taught and what Jesus did for you. No, 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 no. Stop reading the text and expecting, you know, to understand it. Like there can be anything useful just reading the text and letting it speak to you that way. No, I've found some principles. We've discovered some principles looking at the life of Christ. A brand new lens that we're bringing to the scripture. We're going to analyze Jesus' life and look for principles and how he did so. So we can kind of deconstruct and figure out how did he do it? How did he do it? Yeah. In the way Jesus lived. But I believe the principles are universal, but the application is very unique. And so you're going to do some things over this journey that are going to be different from anyone else because the expression of this one month to live lifestyle is very unique and we've seen so many different ways the expression of the one month to live lifestyles um i mean can you imagine i mean this turns into a denomination you know 50 years from now we talk about the one monthers like the way we talk about methodists or presbyterians what are those guys over there those are the one month to livers oh 
Okay, what are they all about? Well, it's all about law, legalism. It's all really about themselves. Oh, okay. Is that it comes out of people's lives and changes their life. But just think about it. Jesus knew when he had one month to live. Now, most of us won't know when we're down to our last month, but Jesus knew when he had 30 days to the cross. And what did he do? He lived these four principles. No, no, no. Okay, which of the apostles has taught us that what we need to do is look at the life of Jesus and, and when he knew that he had 30 days to live, what were the four principles that Jesus you know, applied to his life when he knew that he had one month to live? Oh, this is terrible. He lived passionately, he loved completely, he learned humbly, and he left boldly. I, I'm going to lose it. I just... Mm. And today I want to give you an overview of these four principles. And then we're going to break them down. One- yeah, nowhere in the Bible are these principles taught, by the way. He's discovered that he is the discoverer of these discoverer of these four principles. Paul never taught him. Peter never taught him. Jude never taught him. John never taught him. Um, we don't find him in the writings of Luke. But we do have him in Carrie Shook's book. 30 days to a no regrets life. One at a time over the next few weeks and really put them into our lives. First, live passionately. Someone said our lives are not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. And what verse would that be, Carrie? Which biblical author said that? Oh, that's right. (laughs) None of them. You were made to live passionately. God created you for more than the kitty rides. We're not here just to coast along on the kitty rides. We're to ride the roller coaster of life. But what happens is we stop living and we start just existing and going through the motions of life and we make it our goal in life to be. Did you write this in conjunction with Rick Warren? This sounds like you're completely ripping Rick off. <sighs> to be comfortable, to be safe, to be secure. But really, safety and security is just an illusion. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission did an extensive risk study on roller coasters recently, and they found... Are there findings published anywhere in the Bible? Notice he's not really teaching us what the Bible teaches. I mean, he started off with his own thing. You were made to live passionately. Well, that's great. Where does it say that in the Bible? That you're more likely to be injured playing a round of golf than riding a roller coaster. Now, when we think of roller coasters... We think of risk and danger and excitement. It's frightening, and a lot of people don't want to ride roller coasters, but they discovered that you're more at risk sitting in a lawn chair in your front yard than you are in riding a roller coaster. Well, that's great. Which of the roller coasters did Jesus ride? I mean, did he ride the one at Coney Island? You know, did he ride the Big Thunder at Disneyland? Was he on the Cyclone? I mean, what were the roller coasters? coasters Jesus rode on. Now, I know I'm not getting through to some of you. Yeah, that's because you're not actually preaching the Bible, Carrie. Uh, Kind of something I've noticed about you is that that's really your habit. You're strip mining the scriptures. You're not actually teaching what the Bible teaches. As you're going, Carrie, I'll take my chances sitting in a lawn chair. I don't like roller coasters. I don't ride roller coasters. But I'm just saying to you, that security and safety is an illusion. 
They also discovered you're much more likely to be killed driving to the amusement park than you are and riding the roller coaster at the amusement park. And most park managers pay a higher insurance premium for the merry-go-round than they do the roller coaster. Safety and security is just an illusion in life as well. You know, we make it our goal to be comfortable in life, to be safe and secure, and we wonder where all the passion went. God wants you to be fully alive, living the life you were made for. Taking. Oh, here we go again. What is it with these purpose-driven guys? It's apparently, you know, Jesus is the guy who wants you to be all that you can be. You know, I don't get it. Why do I have to be a risk-taking guy? Why can't I just have a normal, everyday, routine life? I wake up every morning and I go to work. I do my job, a job that I enjoy. When I'm finished with my job, I go home. When I get home, I eat dinner. I chat with my wife, talk to my girls about how their day was. You know, the dishes are cleaned up. I bathe, exercise, uh, get in bed, chat with my wife. You know, all that kind of stuff. Wake up and do it all over again. What's wrong with that? By the way, when I do that, <clears throat> I do my job and I'm able to pay my bills. I mean, what kind of adventurous thing am I supposedly missing? That, that I haven't taken up skydiving? Do you, listen, I'm overweight. If I were to jump out of an airplane, people would mistake me for a cloud, okay? So I don't want to go skydiving. I don't look good. I don't even think they make parachutes big enough for me the risk that he's called you to living in faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. Helen Oh, he did not just do that. He did not just do that. He didn't. Oh man. I'm <clears throat> backing up the audio because this is a supreme Bible twist here. It, by the way, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 if you have your Bible with you. You're going to need it. Oh man, he did not just do that. He did not. Oh, this is terrible. Hang on a second. Here we go. Where all the passion went. God wants you to be fully alive, living the life you were made for, taking the risk that he's called you to, living in faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God. I'm absolutely dumbfounded. Hebrews chapter 11, by the way. Carrie Shook just made it sound like the Bible teaches that unless you're living a risky, on-the-edge, roller coaster kind of life, that you're not pleasing God. He quoted um, Hebrews 11.6 out of context, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. By the way, Hebrews 11.6, that sentence fragment, because that's what that is. That's, that's a verse fragment. It's a verse fleck, if you would. This is what I mean by artificial Bible flavoring. Hebrews 11.6, which says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, does not mean that you have to live life on the edge, otherwise you're not pleasing God. That is a lie. Unbelievable. Let's talk about what it does mean. It's talking about saving faith. Faith. The Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
It's the hope of eternal life, the conviction that we'll have it in Christ. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was uh, commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. This is what this is referring to. This, what Carrie Shook just did, is, I, I apologize for being this strong, but this is what this is. What he did is satanic. This is how the devil handles God's word. Go and read the stories of Jesus' temptation by the devil in the wilderness. Look at the verses that the devil quotes and go and look how he quotes half verses to Jesus. He twists God's word and Jesus, Jesus answers him with God's word. Twisting God's word like this is the devil's work. This is not the work of a Christian pastor. Carrie Shook, by saying that you need to go out and live a risky life or a passionate life, live life to the full, and that's what that means in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it's impossible to please God, that unless you live your life that way it's impossible to please God, that's a lie. That is a complete misusing of, misusing of God's word. And what, is the word, what does God tell us in the Ten Commandments? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is an example, a clear-cut example of what it means to take God's name in vain, to misuse his word, to redirect you, to basically teach you lies about his word with an open Bible of all things. Let me play that again, and let's, and I'll continue rather than stop it this time. Life you were made for, taking the risk that he's called you to, living in faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God. Helen Keller said, security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. Jesus Christ was the most passionate person who ever lived. And he created you to live a life of passion, to follow his example. John 10.10, he said, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed. Here we go again. The, what is it with these seeker-driven, purpose-driven guys and their proclivity? The, the, it's the abundant life heresy, a, a misquoting of John 10.10. God wants you to stop existing and start really living. And he offers a life that you could never dream or imagine. A life of passion where you're living out of who he created you to be. Well, this next passage is very intriguing to me because Jesus used it to describe his generation but it really describes us. In Luke seven thirty one, he said, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? 
They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. Jesus was saying you didn't experience life. Really? Luke 7:31 Jesus is saying to those people, you didn't experience life. I want you to li- I want you to really experience a passionate life. Really? Let's take a look at that in context. Unbelievable. I, I, this is jaw-droppingly bad. It's putting me in a bad mood, by the way, too. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's see here. Let's put it in context. Remember, our three rules for proper biblical interpretation. Context, context, and context. And add into it the thing that I've been talking about all week. And that is, is that when we say we believe in an inspired word of God, That means that we believe that God inspired the very words that were written by the apostles and the prophets and by Moses, that he inspired those very words. Why? Because in those words, those words convey inspired thoughts from God. That's the idea. Don't tell me you believe in an inspired, inerrant word of God and then turn around and not tell me what the real thoughts are. Okay? So here's the question that's on the table. In Luke chapter 7, is Jesus saying to those people, listen, you know, your problem is is you're not living life to the full. You're not living passionately. That's what Carrie Shook just said. So the way we discover this is we put the verse back in context. Okay? And what I'm going to do here... Um, I'm going to start at verse 18. Now, even though the story switches through uh, in chapter 7, I want you to see what's going on here in the bigger, greater context of the teaching of Jesus. Okay, Luke chapter 7, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, Jesus, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So John the Baptist is in prison, and he wants to know, Is Jesus the Messiah? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and what you've heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Well, what then did you go out to see? A a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. So what then did you go out to see? A a prophet. Yes, I tell you, a a prophet and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you that among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
And when they all heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared, declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Jesus continues, so to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. When you put this verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 31 and 32, back into context, Jesus is not chastising the people of that generation because they weren't living passionately. This story occurs, this little thing occurs in his explanation of who John the Baptist is and what John the Baptist has done. The point of the story is not uh, you're not living life passionately. It's that we called to you and you didn't respond. God sent his messenger, John the Baptist, ahead of Christ to call the world, to call Israel to repentance of their sins and the forgiveness of sins and to prepare the way of the Lord and to make straight paths for the Lord is coming. And they didn't respond properly. But the thing is, is that the text itself says that tax collectors who had been baptized by John the Baptist believed God to be just because they were baptized by John. The Lord, working through John the Baptist, had prepared the way for Jesus. But the Pharisees, they rejected God, God's purposes for themselves. They didn't come in repentance. They didn't come and have their sins forgiven. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not chastising these, that generation because they didn't live passionately. Sadly, Carrie Shook is majorly twisting God's word at this point. Again, he's not teaching you what the inspired thoughts are in the inspired text. He's twisting God's word. This is the devil's trick. This is not how God's servants and ministers behave. You didn't enjoy every moment. I played for you the music of life and you didn't dance. You set it out. You were always waiting to live. You didn't experience life. I played the music of life and you didn't dance. And then the sad song was played and you didn't cry. You were just numb going through the motions. You had no passion in your life and no compassion for others. God wants to fill your life with passion, and he wants to give you compassion for others. Do you hurt when others are hurting? I mean, do you really experience life? He was saying, you're not laughing, you're not crying, you're not living. You're just numb, and you're going through the motions. You're not experiencing life, the joy, the pain, the exhilaration, the fear. You're not experiencing life. You're just living mediocre life. You're just numb. You're just going through the motions. This describes us. And Jesus said, I, I came for so much more than that. I came so you can have real life. 
And let me just give a word of advice to those of you who are moms and dads of little ones. The same advice that so many wise people gave Chris and I when we had four preschoolers running around and we just didn't know how we were going to survive and you're just trying to make it through every minute. And things are just so stressful and your prayer is, you know, well, when the kids get a little older, then we'll really start living. But I had so many people tell me, you better enjoy these crazy moments right now because they go by so fast and it's so true. It seems like just the other day, I was buckling my son Ryan into his car seat as a toddler. And this fall, he buckled himself in his truck that was loaded down with his possessions and he drove himself off to college. You know, it seems like just the other day that my daughter Megan was dancing around in her Cinderella outfit, just enjoying life. This last fall, she wore a homecoming dress and went to homecoming with a boy. (laughs) That wasn't me. And one day, she'll dance in a wedding dress and I'll dance with her. And that'll be 40, 50 years from now. So we're not going to talk about that. Not even, can't go there. But moms and dads of little ones running around and things are just crazy and it's hard to make it through your day. Enjoy every crazy moment because it goes by so fast. And when the music of life is played, dance. Don't sit it out. When the sad songs of life are played, cry. Have compassion for those who are hurting and in need. I'm so thankful this church is a church of passion and a church of compassion. Because we look to Jesus Christ. He's our great example. Oh, no. Oh, Jesus is your great example. Oh, I'm going to throw up. I, seriously. That's the best you can come up with? He, what about your great God and Savior? See, Jesus just came to show you how to have a passionate life. That's what he was really doing. He was showing you what the passionate uh, and fulfilled and abundant life is supposed to look like. Wow. Wow. I'm sad. The most passionate person who ever lived. If you don't have any passion in your life, hang around Jesus a little bit. Spend some time with God, and you'll be filled with passion and compassion. You can't help but have your heart break for this hurting world when you hang around God a little bit. Second, love completely. The second one-month-to-live principle is to love completely. Jesus knew when he had 30 days left, and what did he do? He loved completely. In John 13, 1, it says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. When Jesus knew his time on earth was about to end, what did he do? He loved completely. He invested his life in his disciples and loved them completely. And if you knew you only had 30 days left on this earth, you would want to love completely. And we've been with so many people. Okay, notice uh, this is law. We're now in the realm of the law. The summary of all of the law and the prophets is love God and love your neighbor. This is a way of sneaking in law. But here's the problem. The purpose of the law is to show you your sin. You can't save yourself by it. That's the primary purpose is to show you your sin. And it does show Christians what a good work is. Okay, let's keep that straight, too. You want to know what a good work is? Be faithful to your wife, to your husband. You want to know what a good work is? Don't steal from your boss or from the grocery store or from Walmart. You want to know what a good work is? 
Work with your hands and your vocation. Clean snotty noses. Be a good husband. Be a good wife. Be a good father. Be a good mother. Serve and love your neighbor in the vocations and in the roles that God has put you in. But I don't think that's where we're going to go here. People at the end of their life and people have regrets not over big, exciting things that they didn't do. They have regrets over all the little things they didn't do over time that accumulate. And it always comes back to relationships. They say things. You know, I have regrets big time and they're called sins. Real, honest to goodness, damning sins. And you're talking about me having little regrets about little things I didn't do in my life. Jesus didn't hang on the cross because of my regrets for the little tiny things I didn't do in life. Jesus was on the cross propitiating God's wrath and atoning for my sins. You want to talk about no regrets or you want to talk about peace with God. See, the thing is, we, this, we still have to suffer with our shame. We still have to suffer with regrets for the wrong that we have done. This side of heaven, this side of the new earth, this side of the resurrection. The thing that Jesus offers isn't this band-aid thing that, that Carrie Shook is trying to weave together by taking all these verses out of context. When you really look at what Jesus was doing, he wasn't showing you how to have the loving, passionate life so that you can live that risky roller coaster thing. He was dying on the cross for your sins. He was living a perfect life for you under the law. He was showing you what a good work is. He was showing you what it means to really, truly love. And his love does show us our lack of love and our need for him, our Savior. This stuff, I, with this, oh, man. Things they've always wanted to say to people, to tell them how much they mean. They do the things they've always wanted to do. They show and express their love. And that's what you would do if you had 30 days left. It would be all about relationships. And it seems so simple, and yet it's profound that you were made to love. The whole reason you were placed on this earth is to love. And you're never really living until you're loving. Jesus summed up your whole purpose in life in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In this first and greatest commandment. First and greatest commandment. That's the law. Carrie, you're preaching this as if it's just really easy to do. The thing is, is that when you preach the law, it convicts us all of our sin. Can you say you've actually fulfilled this? I can't. Not even close. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He was saying love God completely and love others completely. At the end of your life, it won't matter how much money is in your bank account. It won't matter how many awards you've won. It won't matter how many people are patting you on the back. It won't matter how many accomplishments you've racked up. The only thing that will matter at the end of your life is did you love? Did you love completely? Did you love God completely? Did you love the people around you completely? No, and neither have you, Carrie, and you'd be lying if you said you did. <sighs> now, that word completely is, is where we get tripped up. And we're going to talk in the series about how to love completely, 
how not to leave anything unsaid and anything undone and really love completely like Christ did with his power. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. You want to be a success in life? Then let love be your guiding motivation. You want your business to be a Do I want to be a success in life? Then let love be your motivation. Uh, Carrie, I'm a failure. I am a failure. Do you have a gospel for failures like me? I am a wretched sinner. I am a failure. I don't need advice. I need good news. You got any of that? Your advice is just doo-doo. As if you're even living it. Give me a break. Success, let love be the motivation behind it. And you can never fail. Now, the world looks at success and they say you're successful if you have a big bank account and you have a lot of awards and accomplishments. But God doesn't look at that at all. He looks at your life and says, do you love? <laughs> and the answer, if you're honest, is do you know. Um, no, not really. Even on my best day, my best good works are like filthy menstrual rags. They're just shot through with sin. I, I, I need to be saved from my good works. Are you loving? Because at the end of our life, that's all that will matter. Did you love completely? Well, if that's the only thing that matters at the end of my life, then, uh, well, then I'm going to hell. So are you, and so is everybody else. Everybody. Because if that's the only thing that matters, that's the law. We're all going to hell. There's no good news because you can't love enough to get your way into heaven. Not even close. And the reason why you have a Savior in Jesus Christ is because God loved you even though you were loveless towards him and to, towards your neighbor. By nature. Not only were you loveless, you were hostile and a rebel. You'll never fail if you love completely. But then there's a third principle, and it may be the hardest principle, is learn humbly. Learn humbly. Jesus, again, was our great example in Philippians 2, 5. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. At the end of Christ's life, he humbled himself to even death on a cross. So this passage challenges us to follow Christ's example of humbly learning through our problems and pain. Did you notice that the cross was mentioned? And apparently at this point of the sermon, this is just an example. Can we talk about what Jesus was doing on the cross? Oh, see, Jesus was setting us an example of what it means to be humble. And this may be the toughest principle for us to learn. Just think about it. So far, remember, the, the cross just has been mentioned seconds ago, and we're not, I haven't played the gospel nugget sound yet because we haven't heard the gospel, even though the cross was mentioned from Jesus, our great example. 
you're going to experience a lot of great things over this daring adventure that we're going to be on. And I've talked about this now for a year, that this is coming, and it's finally here, and we're so excited. We've been praying for this, excited about it. And I've told you, if you start living your life this way, and many of you have already started asking that question, what would I do if I had one month to live? And it's changed your life. And I've told you, miracles are going to happen in your life. Just because miracles are going to happen in your life just because you asked the question, what if I only had one month to live? You don't even need Jesus for this. I mean, a Hindu could ask themselves the question, oh, what am I be doing? What if I only be having one month to live? Oh, I better have experienced life change and miracles. A, a, a Muslim could ask this question and experience, quote, life change. You don't need Jesus for this. And that's true. In fact, expect three things. First, miracles. You're going to experience miracles. There are going to be so many miracles in your life. We've already seen a lot of miracles in lives. But you're going to experience some miracles in your relationships, in your family, in your life. Count on it. Expect it. It's going to happen. As you start living this way, more... Just because... Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Just because I've asked the question, what if I only have one month to live and started applying these principles, uh, live passionately, love completely, learn humbly, that I should expect miracles. This, he's gone to, uh, he's an estrogen snake oil salesman. Snake estrogen salesman, that's what this guy is. More intentionally, miracles are going to happen. But secondly, expect problems. I said this was going to be a very blessed time in your life, but I didn't say it'd be a problem-free time. This is going to be a miraculous adventure we're going on, but it won't be a problem-free adventure. I've had so many people recently ask me, what keeps us from living this way? I mean, what you're talking about is so exciting and great. Sin. Great, but why don't we live this way? Because we're sinful by nature. You ever heard of total depravity? More often, and I say, well, all I can do is speak for myself. The reason why many times I stop living this way is because of problems and busyness and stress that comes into my life. Oh, yeah, you're a victim. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're a sinner by nature. It's that you're a victim. You know, problems and stress, you know, they can come up in your life. You're going to have problems like that, and they can derail you off of this miraculous lifestyle. And I start being fooled and thinking, well, if I can just get rid of this problem, then I can really live this way. If I can just get through this stressful time, then I can start really living intentionally and do the things that count. If I can just get through this problem, then I can get my act together. But the problem is there's always problems. So you better get your act together first. Law. But here's the good news. God allows the problems into our lives to be the very things that help us become who he made us to be. That's the good news? That's the good news of the Bible? That's the gospel? The euangelion? No. Let me back this up. He said good news, but this isn't the biblical good news. This is a different gospel, if you would. Hang on a second. Here we go. I can start really living intentionally and do the things that count. If I can just get through this problem, then I can get my act together. But the problem is there's always problems. But here's the good news. God allows the problems into our lives to be the very things that help us become who he made us to be. So that's the gospel. Yeah, I know. 
if those problems and stresses that come into my life, if I won't fall into the lie that says, when I get rid of this problem, then I'll really start living intentionally. It's the very problem that God wants to use in my life to help me live the life I was made for. It's the pain and the problems that really allow me to depend on God. See, I've noticed so many people at the end of their life have no pride. All their pride's been cut up from under them. And many times they have to depend on people to even take care of them physically. And Chris and I just begin to think that's the way we should always live, with no pride, humbly depending on God. But so many times I puff up with pride, and I think I can do it, and I can get my act together. As we've talked to so many people about this recently, about the book, you know, I've said this isn't a self-help book that, that we've written. This is- it certainly is. This isn't, has nothing to do with Christ. This is a self-helpless book. We need God's help to live this out. Oh, I see. You just need God's help to live it out. Oh, I see. Uh, how is this any different than Roman Catholicism? I, you know, oh, I know. They don't have candles in the liturgy. Oh, got it. Okay. We need to surrender to God and learn humbly and depend upon him because every day of my life I've been seeking now to live this way. And what happens for Chris and I is we start off our day very intentional, asking that question. Would I do this if I had one month to live? Would I do that if I had one month to live? But by the middle of our day, there's problems and there's stresses, and we start getting derailed. And that's when I just have to fall on my knees. Sometimes I fall on my face first, but I quickly get to my knees and I say, God, I need your power to live this way. I have to humble myself and depend on you. I can't do it. I, I give up. You're going to have to. So where in the Bible does it say that God will give you the power to live the 30-day, uh, you know, one-month-to-live way of life? With these newly discovered principles. Where, where does God promise to help you live this way again? I'm, I'm curious. You have to live through me. You're going to have to love Chris through me the way she needs and deserves to be loved. God, you're going to have to love my kids through me because I just came home from work today and I'm tired and I'm stressed and I'm thinking about problems that I'm having to deal with. And I would rather just sit down in front of the television and veg out and have a little me time. I deserve that me time rather than focus and connect with my kids. I see. Okay. So if if you go home and you watch television and you have any me time, you're sinning. So, God, help me love my kids and connect with them the way they need and deserve to be loved. I can't do it. You're going to have to do it through me. I need you. Forgive me of my pride. I mean, I come to that place every day in my life, and I'm just going to tell you there's no way. Hang on a second. I'm going to give him gospel nugget status for that one. Forgive me of my pride. That one was moving quick. Hang on a second here. Let me calculate that. That. Is that even possible? Mach 15.3? Whew. I I think that was an accidental gospel nugget. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive. See, we talked about the forgiveness of sins there accidentally. You're going to be able to live this one month to live lifestyle without God's power and God's strength. Jesus gave us the example, and then he sent us his spirit to live through us, to love through us. Well, this is, I don't know what this is. To live passionately through us, to learn humbly through us. And so I just encourage you as we take this journey, depend on the Lord. 
If you never had any problems, you wouldn't be here right now. This building would be empty. If you never had any problems, you wouldn't pray. If I never had any problems, I wouldn't depend on God. I've got sins. You got anything for that? Seriously. Problems are the least of my worries. When when I'm in the house of the Lord, dealing with the one true God, saying I've got problems is kind of like low on my priority list. I'm in the presence of the holy and one true God. And I'm going to talk about problems? I've got sins. Got anything for that? I mean, who are we kidding? So God allows the problems and the pain to come into our life so we won't miss out on the most important relationship, the reason we're created to love him and have a love relationship with him and then have the power to love others. But when you learn humbly, you need others around you. We learn from each other. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. You're not a lone ranger Christian. If you really want to learn humbly, you have to get in a group. So there are three things, really, you're going to experience. Miracles, problems, and you're going to grow like you've never grown before. Then there's a fourth principle, lead boldly. Jesus had this sense of intentionality and purpose in Luke 9:51. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set up for Jerusalem. Underline the word resolutely. Why was he heading to Jerusalem? What was he resolutely setting out to do, Carrie? You're a Christian pastor. Don't you think you should tell people about what Jesus was setting off to Jerusalem to do so resolutely, so boldly? He was going to die on the cross for our sins. Please tell me you're going to mention that. Jesus left boldly, and he changed the world. He left the legacy that... (sighs) He changed the world. I thought he died on the cross for our sins. Change the world. Now, first, you need to know you were made to leave. You're not made to live here on this earth forever. Somehow we think we're going to be here forever, but we're not. We're going to live forever, but we're not going to be here on this earth forever. And you were made to leave, and inherently, every one of us know deep down we were made for more than just the here and now. Deep down, I think every one of us know there's got to be more to life than just this. The Bible says he's placed eternity in all our hearts. <laughs> Actually, the thing I'm thinking is there's got to be more of the Christian teaching and what's in the Bible than this. This is, neat. This is oh, like I said, artificial Bible flavoring here. So in every person's heart, you know, deep down, it may be buried over, but deep down they know there's got to be more to life than just here and now. Got to be more to life than living 60, 70, 80 years, and then boom, it's over. Eternity is forever. You are made to leave. And if you knew you had 30 days left, you would want to know that you're ready to leave, that you're ready to meet your maker. So are you ready to meet God? Will we hear the gospel? You see, this series is not about dying. It's about living. It's not that you're going to die in a month. Lord willing, you're going to live many more years. And if you live this way, you'll know how to really live. It's not that you're going to die tonight. Lord willing, you're going to have to wake up tomorrow and face the world. That's why you need this series. That's why you need God's word. So are you ready to meet God. You're never really ready to live until you're ready to die. Then you were made to leave a legacy. Every one of us has. Are you going to tell us how we're, we could be ready to die? You know, the gospel, Christ dying on the cross for our sins, repentance, 
trust and faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins? Any of this stuff sound familiar to you here, Carrie? Has a deep desire to leave something that will outlast us, to live a life that will outlast us, to leave a spiritual imprint that's so big that it'll still be here after we're long gone. And the way you do that is just be you. The thing that keeps you from leaving a bold legacy and making a difference and living a life that outlasts you is we try to please everyone else. Being me is how I got into my problems with God. Sinning, you know, because, oh, man. <sighs> this is, oh, man, this is bad. This is the kind of preaching that sends people to hell. Wow. That's the one thing that will keep you from leaving a legacy. He's trying to please everyone, trying to live the life everyone else wants you to live. In Matthew 25, 23, Jesus said, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. A lot of people will tell you how to live, but at the end of your life, only one opinion matters, and that's God's. And when you go meet God, he's not going to ask you, Why didn't you please those people? Why didn't you live the life that they were trying to get you to live? Why didn't you do what was most convenient? Why didn't you take the easy path? He's not going to ask you that. He's not going to say, why weren't you more like Pastor Kerry? Certainly not going to say that. He's going to say, why weren't you more you? Why didn't you live the life I made you live? I don't get it. I gave you certain passions and gifts, and why didn't you use them? Why didn't you live the life I made you for? That's all that's going to matter. Uh, holy cow. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what to say. A sermon about 30 days to live, or you've only got a month to live, and there was no clear gospel presentation just law why didn't you live the abundant life i wanted you to live and apparently if you do that then you'll get into heaven no christ on the cross no forgiveness of sins no repentance no faith and trust in christ there was no gospel in this and the theme is you've only got 30 days to live What am I supposed to say to this? This is rank heresy. That's not biblical Christianity. You, any, some of you out there listening to my voice, you might actually only have 30 days to live. I might have less than that. I might be dead tomorrow. You might be dead tomorrow. And let me tell you, I'm not going to sit there and chastise you and say, oh, you've got, I'm going to basically project onto God. Did you live the fighting for the faith pirate Christian lifestyle? If you didn't live the pirate Christian lifestyle, then you weren't living an abundant life. And, you know, God's going to, when you get to heaven, the only thing that's going to matter to God is he's going to sit there and say, well, did you live the pirate lifestyle that uh, that I that I helped Chris discover? Uh, yeah, no. Well, what were you thinking? I'm not going to let you into heaven to hell with you. The pirate lifestyle is simple. All you have to do is love God and love neighbor. Get cracking. Go. 
No. You and I are sinners. We have no chance whatsoever to stand in the presence of a holy and just God in our sinfulness and expect anything to go right for us at all. You haven't loved God with all of your heart, and it's not okay. You haven't loved your neighbor as yourself, and it's not okay. God isn't going to go wink, 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 wink. That's okay. I'll let you in anyway. No. When you stand before God, if you are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the garments of his righteousness, his shed blood, you haven't got a chance. God will say to hell with you and he would be just in doing so. And no amount of no regrets lifestyle living is going to matter worth a hill of beans when you stand before God. The good news is that Christ died on the cross for all of your sins and mine. And the commandment of God is to believe in Jesus Christ, the one whom the Father has sent, the only name by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. Repent of your wickedness and be forgiven. Christ, your great God and Savior, has taken all of your regrets upon himself, your lack of loving God and your lack of loving neighbor. Even today's sins were propitiated by him on the cross. 2,000 years ago, repent and be forgiven. This is the good news. What you heard from Carrie Shook, that's the kind of preaching that will send people to hell. Literally. Pray for Carrie that he repents. This is just awful. I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means we depend upon your generous gifts and contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can support this radio outreach by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see two yellow buttons. One says, join our crew, and the other says, donate. Joining our crew is $6.95 a month, and we are 60% of our way to our goal of having 1,000 of our listeners join our crew. And uh, once we get to that, we get to 1,000 listeners. And that means that on a daily basis, we're able to pay all of our bills, which is really important. Uh, so that we can continue to bring this radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And, of course, if you'd like to fill in the amount as to how much you'd like to contribute to us financially, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Folks, what would you think? would love to get your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow. May God richly bless you in the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.